What's up, everyone? Good to see you all here. There was a couple of people here that were, that were here early that got let in by mistakes. Sorry about that, Donna, and there were a couple other people that we let in. They were like, oh, actually, we're still setting up, so we're gonna push you back to the waiting room for a couple minutes. Um, we're gonna give everyone just a minute here to come through, so people finishing up lunch or whatever time zone they're in, so we'll let them join. We're gonna get started in just a minute. Good to see some familiar faces, some familiar names, some new names. Joey, what's good? Duke, what's going on? Aid is the OG. Chris, your feedback got shared around our company Slack channel. Thanks for sharing that with Sydney. All right, people can roll through. I'm, I'm ready to get started. We have like, Kaylee was telling me we had four pages of questions that were left over from just the last episode. So we'll continue to prioritize live questions and discussion, but we got a lot of stuff to keep the discussion going, questions that you asked or some of your peers asked, so we'll get into that. Before I before I get into that stuff, I did want to, um, back in the old Demand Gen Live days, we would sometimes uh, there would be like a topic that was hot and I'd have a strong opinion on it and we would like start the episode by me talking about it. So we're going to throw back, throw back to that for a minute. There's been a lot of chatter around this idea of like a new way to do LinkedIn attribution where you look at the impressions you can LinkedIn will show you how many impressions were delivered to specific accounts if the impressions have enough size, but it won't tell you who exactly it was delivered to. So now there's like this new sort of like LinkedIn attribution idea where you cross reference. These are all the accounts that saw LinkedIn ads, and these are all the accounts that are in our pipeline in Salesforce. Let's give credit to LinkedIn ads for all of the deals that came from the accounts that had impressions served on LinkedIn. And I'm here to tell you why that is a, you can look at it as a, a great idea, like, hey, we can prove the ROI of our stuff, but I'm going to talk through why I've, I've been studying attribution for so long and why I think this is a really poor idea and has a lot of technical issues for B2B marketers. I tried to do this manually in 2020. And I tried to do it at the contact level, not at the account level. As the account level gets even worse, but I'm going to tell you how I did it at the contact level. We were delivering ads for a company and they had a pretty large total addressable market. There was thousands of accounts in there. And the total number of contacts that we were advertising to was around 1.2 million people. I was able to obtain in like through a partnership with a technology vendor obtain the list of the all 1.2 million people, the companies they worked for and how they matched the criteria for our targeting. Then I looked at all of the deals that were created with those contacts and cross-referenced it against the contact list. And I also did it at the account level. So it may be like we were advertising to the director, but not the VP for whatever reason. And then the VP came inbound. So I was cross-referencing the, the exact contact. They're in our advertising list and an opportunity gets created with that contact. Or this account is in our advertising list and we created an opportunity with this account. Seems pretty logical, right? So far, here's the problem. The problem is that 
you're typically advertising to your entire total addressable market. And so theoretically, every account that you could feasibly sell to is already in your audience and getting at least one impression of an ad, which means that you would feasibly cross-reference every single deal to LinkedIn ads, regardless of the impact. Account-based marketing vendors have been doing the exact same thing with display advertising for almost a decade now. And you have display advertising running to all your target accounts. None of those target accounts even see the ads. For the most part, definitely not driving a massive impact. And then over on the other side, oh, Salesforce opportunities are being opened for these accounts, maybe because our SDRs cold called them, maybe because we saw them at an event, maybe because of any other reason. And now we're going to say that the display ads had a huge impact on driving that account to buy without any level of real details about the effectiveness of the media. And so this can be a very, it can be a very dangerous game for marketers because it, based on the attribution model, which is very generous, it almost, as generous as it gets almost, for marketers to say, our LinkedIn ads are working because of this generous attribution model, let's continue to scale our LinkedIn ads. And in reality, the programs aren't really working that well. We've just been able to attach an account with an opportunity. So that's the big risk here. Um, I see a lot of people adopting this, uh, this strategy, mainly because it's hard to attribute LinkedIn ads, especially when you're creating demand, not capturing it or running lead gen. So I understand why people are doing it. I'm just pointing out the, the flaws and potential sort of... Uh, uh, potential challenges that you can run into with leveraging such a generous attribution model. Even at the contact level, we were basically able to say that our Facebook and Instagram ads drove every single deal, which is definitely not true. So um, caution forewarning on this level of like platform-based attribution, specifically if you look deep into it, specifically using impression-based account level correlation to pipelines and deal to deals and pipeline um, in my opinion is in, is really technically flawed and can lead to a lot of issues so just putting my opinion on the record there I know that a lot of marketers are adopting this I know that you'll I just did this experimentation with myself manually like three years ago so I have already dr drawn the conclusions but I expect if you're using a tool like that that you will arrive at similar conclusions as what I have and why I gave up on using that type of methodology years ago. So with that said, it's fun. Maybe I'll do this more often. I don't even really, uh, some people might call that a hot take. I don't really consider that a hot take. Um, but that's putting my flag in the ground on, a, on an issue that's happening. People are talking about that right now on LinkedIn. Companies are implementing that right now as something that they think is going to be a fix. And I think it's going to uh, create the perception of a fix, but not actually fix the root, which is we need data to make good decisions. Not we need to prove LinkedIn drove five deals the last quarter. So with that said, maybe we'll have a couple questions relevant to that topic. Maybe somebody's implementing that right now that we can talk on right now. If you are, feel free to drop that in the chat. Kaylee can pull you up. Otherwise, let's go in any direction that we want. Beautiful. Cool. As always, I will encourage you to drop questions in the chat. If you would like to join us live, just make sure and note live. We'll make sure to prioritize your questions in the queue um, while everybody's thinking of what's a top top of mind question for them. I'll go ahead and get us started with some of the backlog from last week and ask on their behalf. Okay. So this person emailed us in advance last week and had a question 
for their particular instance. It says that he works for a professional services consulting firm. Half of the business is reactive staffing requests from clients. And then the other half is strategic consulting selling. So right now we're not aggressively trying to get new logos and our buyers don't often come to our contact page because they're accustomed to just emailing their account executive um, when they're working with like recruiters for staffing. So that's their typical buying behavior. This makes it hard to get accurate or meaningful amount of self-reported attribution data. He says that he's pushing hard to make the how did you hear about us field a requirement on every opportunity in Salesforce. Um, but what are some ways that he could go about tweaking strategies or scenarios where buyers rely on a relationship with their account executive instead of traditionally coming in through a website? The difference here, it's not like a perfect correlation, but it's close, is that this is more like a usage-based software model when it comes to attribution, meaning that when the customer the first hires you and does the first project, they are now officially a customer, even if they're not paying you the next month because they don't have a project. And then the next project that comes is basically like an expansion or an upsell or more usage, not a net new opportunity. And so it's really distinguishing the idea of an expansion with a customer as different of a net new acquisition and measuring them and having different strategies for them. The goal, um, the goal of a lot of things that we talk about here is acquiring net new customers so that over time you can deliver work, you can get them into new features or if it's professional services, get them into new services and continue to expand and grow a relationship with a customer. But you can't expand and grow a relationship if you don't have a new customer to begin with. So you need to have both. You need to be able to acquire new new customers, then you need to be able to, especially in this business model, you, it's not exactly usage-based, but it's kind of usage-based. You have to be able to retain and expand. It sounds like, based on the question, that there's not a lot of focus on net new acquisition. And instead, it's just about getting more projects from people that I would already consider a customer in the CRM. I would recommend having some level of a balance. Like I mentioned, you, at some point, if you, like, you're going to not be able to expand current customers in order to grow. And you're going to need some flow of net new customers so you can start the expansion process over again. So I wouldn't completely... Um, I wouldn't completely move away from net new acquisition. And then the, I'm just picking out keywords here. Another keyword was reactive, meaning like uh, the way I interpret it is we don't feel like we have a lot of control over the outcome. Customer comes to us with a project. We don't see it coming. Uh, we don't have a lot of control over how it happens. There can be ups and downs which is a sort of, it's similar to what a usage-based model would be. And it's actually quite a dangerous thing in a professional services company where you need to have some level of consistent workload uh, for the people that work there. So what was the original question? Like how to measure it or? Yeah, how to tweak strategies in this scenario so that where buyers often rely on a relationship with their AE. I think that he's wanting to push change to your point about being reactive and not having control. I think, I mean, I can kind of pick up on that in the way the question was submitted as well. Yeah. I think the other thing is like proper implementation of how they get a better understanding of where their existing customer race is coming from, considering they're not growing top of funnel. I think he wants to start with what they have Yeah. and they're not coming in through the website. They're coming in through managed relationships with their rep. Yeah. So he wants a better way to pulse. How did they hear about us with their existing customers? Yeah. It's like, uh, how did you hear about us works at like the first point, right? But like, if you ask it, like you, sh 
how do I say this? Like the, when the customer is going back to the AE to say, Hey, we've already done six recruiting projects with you. Now we want to do a seventh one. It makes no sense to ask them. How did you, how did you hear about us? They're already, they've are their customer. They've been working with you. It doesn't really matter. Um, and it's not going to give you in my view, I don't think it's going to give you great insights. And so you need to be like, you need to be evaluating the programs that you're running for that, those specific customers in a different way than using self-reported attribution or digital touchpoint based attribution. So there are program level analyses that we've talked about before looking if you're running media using custom conversions, which gives you some level of anonymous attribution. There um, is overall like engagement and feedback. How many people are showing up at the events? How many people are on like engaging with LinkedIn content? Are our podcast downloads growing? Those types of things. But it doesn't really, there's no perfect answer here. Um, another thing that you could do is try and have qualitative customer, like you could do a, a win analysis like qualitative research uh, live with a customer, like 10 minute, te- a 10 minute phone call after you close the seventh recruiting project Have you've already done six. Um, and it'd be interesting to hear what you find. Uh, my guess would be that those people are not really paying that much attention to your marketing and they just, you're this chosen service provider. And when they have a need, they come to you. That would be my, like expect, that would be my expectation. So those are some of the options, but there is no perfect solution here. What do you think, Kaylee? Yeah, I agree. I think I I um, love that it's a pre-submitted question, but I think what's missing for me is like his objective. Like, what is it specifically that he's trying to solve for? Is it that he wants to try and create a case to open up net new business lines again and get the company like assisting him and helping to push that lever? Like, I can't. I don't quite understand what he's blocked on, other than it seems like he has a couple of like smaller challenges. But I don't quite understand what his vision is that he's trying to like unlock. So um, I think I agree with everything that you said. I would just, um, I I would do what you're recommending, doing customer calls and trying to understand at least where they're coming from to help build a case for opening up new pipeline again. I think it's odd that they are pretty cyclical on only relying on existing business that can only get you so far. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. I'm going to urge again, if people want to come on live for whatever it's worth, anybody that submitted a question last week, I can't find you in the queue for today. So just go ahead and submit it back in the chat so we can get you to the top of the queue and bring you on live. So in the meantime, I'll just keep riffing through some of these that were submitted until we get some bubble up in the queue for coming on live. So um, this person submitted that says, okay, they're a B2B AI SaaS startup, which does seem to be all the rage these days. So it's pretty topical. Um, approaching two years in operations total, they have 10, a total of 10 paying B2B customers. So pretty small. One person is on their marketing team out of 10 total FTEs. It says our founders have full buy-in with regard to frameworks that Refine Labs prescribes. Now we have just launched our first uh, official revenue programs, plural. So it looks like they launched uh, podcasts, social media, and field events all at the same time. How would you advise that we design our exit criteria for the different stages of revenue R&D if our current sales cycle length is 12 months? I think there's a lot you can unpack there. Yeah, taking some notes here. Um, we just updated the exit criteria. Sydney, you want to come on here and talk about what you, how you've been adjusting it? She's here. Hold on one sec. I just asked her to unmute. 
All right. Let me come on video here. Wow. Surprise visitor. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yes, we have um, or we're in the process of updating our exit criteria. And I can kind of walk through some of the ideas behind it. So that can kind of we can kind of riff on that. I'm going to pull up a document real quick, just so I don't, you know, give you guys some misinformation. <laughs> uh, to quickly kind of answer the question, though, if you have a 12-month sales cycle, um, the exit criteria that we're moving towards is going to be a little bit more formula-based, so it'd be a little bit more personalized to your business. So let me pull this up. Give me one minute, and we'll go through it. She does that as yeah. While she does that as well, a lot of the exit criteria is based on hero pipeline, which is probably stage two or stage three. So, the lag time to overall close one deal is mitigated by using pipeline and win rate combined, as opposed to close one revenue. It's not it's not like immediate, but it shortens the time frame a lot. Yeah, and that's another thing that the exit criteria is based on hero pipeline, which then you can forecast what revenue you're going to get from that um, as well. So the newly proposed exit criteria, we are playing with a revenue program goal. And then so that way this can be personalized and relative to each organization. So we will probably publish this in the vaults more formally soon after we test this and get more data from some of our customers. But essentially what the calculation looks like is step one is to set an acceptable revenue program target. This we went in this direction kind of for two reasons. One, because not all programs have the same revenue expectation inside of a business and can be personalized to your business that way. And then so you have an acceptable program target, which is a revenue target. You're going to look at your average contract value, which is going to be based on historical six or 12 month sales cycle. Then you're going to look at your conversion rates, basically from your hero win rate conversion rate, your conversion rate uh, from pipe conversion to hero and meeting to hero as well. And then we're actually going to back into the standardized gates, phase gates for you based on your company's data set. So we're still standardizing all of our phase criteria. Um, so for example, I'm gonna go kind of backwards down. So phase five, to get to phase five, which is scale and sustain, would be 100% of the revenue goal is attained. Phase four, so I'm gonna go, you know, kind of bottoms up here, is the you have 65% of the pipeline goal. So again, you can back into that. It's kind of like a bottoms up formula, something that we will uh, publish soon. Phase three, which is repeatability, would be you've attained 30% of the pipeline you need to get to that revenue goal. Phase two, positive signal, 50% of, you've booked 50% of the meetings needed to get to your phase three pipeline goal. So we're kind of backing up. And then phase one is you've, which is experiment, you've attained 25% of the conversions needed 
to get to your phase three revenue uh, and pipeline goal. So without a bunch of uh, context and a calculator that I could kind of go into live, that's kind of the direction that we're going, which would account for two large variables, actually three large variables. The goals you have inside your organization, your average contract value, and your sales cycle are incorporated into this um, calculation. Cool. Thank you, Sydney. Stay on because you'll probably go back and forth here, but I want to kind of simplify. There was a lot that was in there. So let's just look at it as, a, as an example, okay? You're starting like a LinkedIn program, okay? And your goal is that you want to get $250,000 in revenue from your LinkedIn program. And then you look back at your hero win rate and it's 25%, which means that your overall pipeline, hero pipeline goal to close 250K would be a million dollars in pipeline. I'm just doing this for the sake of round numbers. And then you have your pipeline goal of uh, 1 million and then you break it down into the phases. So if you got to 1 million as your goal, then that would be in phase five. 65% would be 650K. That would be phase four. Uh, 30% would be 300K. It would be phase three. Um, the good thing about this as well is that it can be rooted in ROI. So you can look at how much am I, how much are we spending in programs to try and get 250K in revenue? So another variable here is what is the investment level in this program uh, relative to the expected return. So um, we used to have just blanket goals. Uh, the point of building in public and the point of sharing this stuff with you is that you all come back with awesome, you all try it for yourselves, come back with awesome questions about what we could be doing better. And then we help continue to optimize and make it better. So this is the second revision that takes in a lot of customized data from your business and allows you to, cr to do it to break down the goals on your own. So I just kind of, you could use that exact breakdown that I had for any of the programs, podcast, social, field. Um, you could say, what is the field might be different, right? You might have a significantly larger expense in field and therefore expecting a greater uh, overall goal correlated with ROI. So maybe your field events revenue target for this year is a million. May, and then if you're here, a win rate on events is 25%. That means that you need to get 4 million in pipe. And then you can break that down uh, by the phases and targets with percentages of the total amount. How many, just for uh, just feedback here, because we explore, like we didn't have a slide. We didn't like, just raise your hand if you like, and don't feel bad or good about this. I'm just trying to collect data. Like, do you understand what we're saying or not? Like, is it clear or are we still missing the mark? Most people raising their hands. Cool. We'll publish some more on this, but just wanted to do a little gut check here. Um, can you revisit too, though? I want you to hit on the points at the front of that original statement. They're a, I would assume they're early stage. They have 10 customers. Yeah. Sydney, you're still on mute, so feel free to chime in too. But they have 10 customers and 10 employees total. One of those people is an, a full-time marketing employee and they just launched three programs, podcast, social media, and field events. And they're wanting to run all of this through revenue R&D. Um, I mean, I don't, I think this is feasible. Some people might say this is too many, but like field events is probably being run by the VP of sales, not the marketing team, like, or s someone else of the 10 people is probably being run. Field is probably being run elsewhere than the one marketer. Mm -hmm. The podcast and social is probably a combination of the marketer, the CEO, or a co-founder, 
and some out an outsource resource or something like that. Um, the and pot like podcasts and social are kind of one in the same. Like it, there's another addi- addition to the workflow, but they're kind of one one in the same. So I think and out of all the things that you could choose as a ten person company, this is what I would choose. I would have our sales team doing field events, and I would have uh, our CEO or co-founder and the one marketer that we have doing podcast and organic social. I think this is the right play. One comment, too, is when you think about the revenue R&D framework, you're going to have your programs, and you're going to have initiatives underneath your programs, which drive your tactics. So if you have three programs, that's great. And then if you are focused, laser focused on one initiative with one, maybe two tactics, and you are executing those, seems like that's this, is, this person is going down, and you are just focused on those things and you're not adding too much, I think it could work as well. Yeah, I think those are all good points. I think that I wanted to hear like a some kind of, you know, statement piece around how I actually don't think most companies understand how these levers cohesively work together. So I feel like it's a really smart move that this person is so early on with very limited resources, it seems, and is trying to find ways to tactically move the needle together across programs that are traditionally run by very three very distinct leaders in very much in silo there's a very natural marriage on how to bring these together and make a be- better impact. But I don't think most companies actually look at it that way today. Yeah. It's one of the luxuries of working at a small, small business is that you get multiple hats. And then let me break down a little bit, uh, like more tangibly what Sydney was saying, like the program is linked in, but then being laser focused on the initiatives is key. So like an, an initiative or a list of initiatives under LinkedIn could be, the CEO's personal brand, the CMO's personal brand, paid advertising, influencer marketing, the company page organic. So if you like really play it out, you can get inundated with too many initiatives inside of one program. The idea about being laser focused when you have 10 FTEs is say, we're going all in on our CEO's profile or whatever you decide. We're going all in on this initiative. And then inside of the initiative, you're going to have tactics. Tactics could be we're going to post video, like long form video with text. We're going to post memes. We're going to post graphics of proprietary research. We're going to post polls. And so at the tactic level, underneath the CEO personal brand initiative, you can get more creative at the tactics if you want. But the long term goal is to figure out program, initiative, tactic or tactics and have something that can be repeatable. I love that example. We have some visuals that we could probably show next time or something to illustrate that point. Um, so it's a good takeaway. Thanks for having me on. And yeah. surprise guests. Love it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Sydney. Okay. Let's keep reffing. Let's see. We've got, um, the struggle that I face. Okay. So this is a submission as well. Let's see. The struggle I face is that we think of our services and our products as an afterthought. And I think that we're missing a lot of opportunity for recurring revenue for a services business. Um, how can we aid, how can we better leverage demand creation to assist when people resources are already spread really thin, um, to, to better leverage them as a selling channel. This person works for a life sciences company. Seems like thin resources, they're struggling with thin resources and right now are primarily only using demand capture, needing a better understanding of how they get started on Mm -hmm. demand creation. 
to like the exact thesis of the last point. It's not about doing a bunch of stuff. It's about figuring out the one or two things that are going to make all the impact. It's really the 80-20 rule. Um, and it's probably even more dramatic than 80-20. Like in this instance, it's probably like 95-5. Like a very small amount of the 5% of the effort drives 95% of the result. And so the, especially, you know, down macro economy, Silicon Valley bank having some issues like tech valuations being down the, the common thinking is what, what more stuff can we do? Um, that's really what people will go to. What's the new or more stuff that we're going to do. And I think the better frame is what is going to one has the macroeconomic environment changed and our product offers pricing packaging overall product market fit have the dynamics of our product market fit changed that's one big one because if that if that thing if that has shifted then no amount of demand creation is going to fix a, a new product market fit issue based on macroeconomic changes so that's one thing then if that is overcome then it's about figuring out what are the one or two things that are going to to significantly drive this that honestly we probably should have been started doing in 2020 when i like when i was talking about every company starting a podcast in 2020 everyone was like nah it's fine our google ads are working great our seo is working great who needs a podcast and then three years later market goes down overall demand goes down capture demand program uh roi goes way up or way down and people wish that they started a podcast three years ago and now they're sort of scrambling to figure out how do I get my CEO to figure out how to do this when they have never done one before. We don't know how to run an event. We don't know how to do any of these things. So it puts you in a, um, a little bit of a situation where you probably should have done some of the things earlier, but that's where I'm going with this. And it would, if I was going to pick one life science company, products, services, like it's virtual event, podcast, LinkedIn, like that's the move right now. Um, and then making sure that the business and the p point of view and the products and services are things that people actually want in this environment. Agree. I think we could even take an example from how you and Megan are setting up planning for Q2 for us. There's, it's so easy for companies to get into, let's do this, let's do this, let's throw spaghetti at the wall situation. Um, but something that's super refreshing that you all are bringing to planning for OKRs for us is things we're not going to do, things we're not going to focus on, things we're not going to prioritize. And starting that from the executive level down, I think is, I don't think I've ever seen anyone structure it that way for whatever that's worth. So um, I know, especially for marketers, it's easy to get into like a reactive setting where everybody expects everything of you. But it's not always common to have the discussion of like how we're going to prioritize what we're what we're doing versus what we're not doing. Hang on one second. Let me get our next guest on live. All right. Toto, you I can in? see you. Unmute. Hello. Can you hear me? Hey. We got you. Welcome. Good backdrop. Good to how have you? you here. Happy to be here. Thanks. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Sofia, Bulgaria. Amazing. That's why we do this at 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern now, so that you can join. This is for, specifically Ooh, for thanks. you. What do you want to talk through? So, ChatGPT. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more abstract question than uh, the regular ones, I guess. But I see from you know self-reported attribution, more and more people answering ChatGPT as the source. 
And I've been thinking, we've been discussing this in the team that probably a, a big change is going to come in the next, I don't know, one, two, three years. It, it, it seems like it's coming fast. And um, that made me think what would be the, you know, the change. Are we going to still use um, SEO as we are using it right now? Um, it feels like if you if you if you're looking for more generic information, ChatGPT is probably the perfect solution for you. And um, unless you provide for me, at least for me, it seems that unless you provide something truly unique that ChatGPT cannot synthesize, nobody is going to come on your website to, to read or download an ebook or you know watch a, a video. And uh, it's still too early, but um, yeah, it, I think it's coming. And um, I was wondering, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Have you discussed that in, in your team? Yeah, first off, what do you like? What type of stuff are you selling where you get ChatGPT and how did you hear about us? Okay, so we are selling synthetic data generator mostly for enterprises. Who buys it? Like what job role? Who buys it? Um, Chief data officer, um, chief information officer, chief, uh, data privacy officers, um, analytics, analytics chief of something. That is wild. There, there's not a single B2B executive right now that believes that a chief data officer and a CIO are making decisions on your synthetic data product using chat GPT and it's literally happening right now. That's it's so well, wild. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that these are the people that report that, but as you see more and more people, you know, reporting this, well, it's inevitable that this kind of people from this caliber would probably go there and start, you know, searching mm -hmm. and asking the chat about some, some things and it would just give them answers. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's coming mm -hmm. faster than everyone thought. This is what I would call like a monumental signal. Like there was a in t early 2019, maybe even late 2018 or parts of 2018, there was a monumental signal that the people who did good marketing on LinkedIn would get massive long-term financial benefits from it. And I'd argue that the same signal is what you're seeing right there is a similar signal that you may not feel it right this second, just like I didn't feel the impact of LinkedIn in 2019 fully, but two or three years later, you really feel it. So I think you're onto something here. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, how would, uh, how would the overall dynamics change? Um, it's really interesting when you think like, how does chat GPT decide which answers are right? Right? Like it's more it, in Google, you're looking for a bunch of information so that you can decide what's right and what's wrong. But at chat GPT, you're looking for the answer, right? So there's a, it's a different thing that's being delivered. And then who decides what which information is right or wrong or which you know if there's two options between your company and another company to buy synthetic data which one do they choose are they objective do they list them all do they just pick one do they start charging like affiliate fees to recommend you and then it becomes like a google ads play but you're paying like 
$1,500 a click to get your chief data officer to click on this um, bidding against other companies. There's like so many directions that it could go that I'm not, uh, I'm not all that sure. What I do know is that SEO and SEM as we know it today is on the, is being challenged. I continue like this has been happening for a long time, but I've continued to see Google search trends for my own behavior. And I expect this with others too. It's come down to two different things, either navigational search. I already know where I want to go and I'm just, Google's helping me get there. Brand search, product search, stuff like that. You know, book an airline, things like that. How to get to somewhere or transactional search. What, how do, what's the best recipe for this dinner? What time is the Super Bowl? What's the fastest way from, to get from here to here? Things like that. So like, those are the types of searches that I think that Google is converging on. Are there other ones? Of course. They're like, it's a search engine with, I don't know, billions or some amount of searches. So there's other ones, of course, but the, it's converging on these types of, of ones. You'll see over time and what the battle between Google and Microsoft Bing and things like that is that more of the search is happening in other places, chat GPT being one of the places. So while Google right now has like a massive dominance over the search market, I think the search market will begin to become more fragmented and you have more search happening in communities. You have more search happening in chat GPT three. You have some search still happening in Google where Google's the right thing. So it becomes more application specific. What is the goal that I'm trying to accomplish will then drive what search engine that I deploy the search on. That would be like, that would make logical sense about human behavior, but it'll be interesting to see what, because it's possible ChatGPT just completely eats the market share of cur like current traditional search engines as well. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think what's going to happen is that something that you're also talking about for a long time is that gated content, it's decaying and uh, probably ChatGPT is going to put this uh, acquisition practice where we get content on our websites to an end, unless we really, you know, come up with something super unique. So people would still exchange their information for an ebook or a report or something like that. Uh, I don't know what's, what's going to happen, but I feel like it's going to be big. It's going to be a big change for, you know, B2B marketing, maybe not just B2B, B2C as well. Um, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I mean, what's happened over the past decade from when like gated PDFs were in its heyday to now is the commoditization of information and the free accessibility of information. At one point in 2010, the gated ebook about email nurtures was novel and unique and hard to find. That information was hard to find in 2010. Fast forward almost 15 years, 10 to 15 years, like that information is regurgitated on every single HubSpot partner blog and a bunch of different places. ChatGPT can tell you, you can get it in a community. It's just freely accessible and, and commoditized. Um, and so as that commodity information continues to progress and be, is available in other places, people don't need to go to your website and fill out your gated ebook. Um, and the quicker that you recognize that, the quicker that you transition the types of content that you're producing and where you're distributing it, um, probably gets indexed better for chat GPT three. If it isn't gated, there's like a lot of, uh, like this is a, this is another like sort of reason why to not gate your content, but it's like one of many reasons. 
maybe it'll be the one that tips everything over. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of drivers as to why gated content is not the ideal method anymore. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you awesome. Great chat. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on um, speed in which we innovate and adopt. Uh, Dan just dropped in the chat that ironically OpenAI just announced the rollout of GPT-4 like 12 minutes ago. So I think that it's going to speed up uh, the pace in which we're expected to ship and be agile and keep up. Somebody asked in the chat because of this riff, um, if you have any thoughts around how or if marketers should shift to specialize or better understand AI slash machine learning in anticipation of all of this AI buzz that's happening in the market right now. It's, uh, it's the, it's the same balance between like capitalizing on new opportunities and balancing shiny object syndrome. The same people that are chasing chat GPT, we're also chasing crypto and NFTs and, social media in 2015 and all like the just goes on and on to what's the next new thing. Um, but there are core underlying principles of either business or marketing or things like that, that don't change. So while one, a tactic or a new thing emerges and like, it's a good thing. If you see an opportunity that you think is going to happen and you think you see it before a lot of people to bet your career on it, like, it worked out for me, so I'm not I'm not knocking doing this. I actually think it's a great a great move. You see an insight that other people don't have. You you see where the future is going. Then like, then go for it. But it's going to take a while for it to materialize. And so, how do you continue to progress in your career, build that core foundation of business and marketing skills that are timeless? How do you continue to have those things happening as well while you're getting to the future that you see coming? So I think that there's a the balance between what do we do what what should I be doing now and then how do I do some things now to prepare me for the future I think that that is the balance to play with. Yeah. It's good. It's a good advice. Um Joey, do you want to hop on live with us? Switch gears for a minute? Yeah, that sounds good. Can you hear me? We got gotcha. you. Cool. I think everyone will be able to dig into this one. You know, uh the AI space is very hot right now and it's kind of taking up the zeitgeist. I actually just joined a new company um, in that space. We're Series A VC backed. Um, I'm inheriting a new marketing team. Um, the team hasn't done much marketing previous to this. And traditionally, the company has been around for quite a few years, but we've had heavily like outbound sales and events led. Uh, we have nearly 50 paying customers. Since joining, I've paused all our paid media because our CPL was way too high. And I'm just curious what else you would do uh, from a go-to-market motion. You know, I've started, I'm implementing SRA this week, refreshing the website to kind of optimize for education and conversion. And I'm talking to customers and thinking about starting a podcast. Who's your buyer? So if we were doing traditional marketing top down, it would be CROs, CFOs, COOs. I think there's an opportunity to also go bottoms up though and mm -hmm. go market towards, you know, maybe just the sales managers, anyone that's in that space that needs to bring in AI mm -hmm. to help operationalize their business. Mm -hmm. And then how much are we talking here? Like in a, in the top down format, like what's a customer worth in a year? Like First year ARR. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's 150K plus, you know, we range in deals from yeah. 150 to a few million dollars. Yeah. So 50 customers, you're not, it's still not, you're not fucking around. No. Seems like it all. could be a small amount, but the deal size is big. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, you mentioned CPL in your question. You said you turned off all the paid media because the CPL was too high. Is do you not, do you have visibility into the performance at like pipeline or revenue, or is there like a data gap here as well? There's a data gap. So like as soon as I jumped in and started things, I you know jumped into Salesforce, tried to get an understanding of what our CAC was. We have no idea what it is because a lot of our customers have been coming in through personal relationships. But when I first started to see what our Google and LinkedIn ads were, we were spending, you know, 700 to $1,000 for a lead. And I just was like, this is, this is not right right now. We need to get a clear message and get this out. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. Yeah. Closing the gap is big, right? Because if you win one out of those 10, then your advertising cost of acquisition is 10K on 150K a year customer. It's like definitely worth it to keep doing that. So it's mm-hmm. like the, it's good to turn it off. Uh, uh, but I think the rationale for turning it off is we don't have enough visibility into the performance. Then we got to figure out how do we close the gap on the performance. I heard you use Salesforce. If you want to talk with Sydney, like we can solve this for you in like a couple weeks with our Salesforce app. Um, I actually so, just spoke with Sydney about Watchtower yesterday. Yeah, it's like so the, it's e- funny the easy button that. for marketing ops and reporting. Like you'd pay a marketing yeah. ops firm for three to six months to do what this thing does in a couple of a couple of days. So. Um, yeah, if you're interested in that, I actually think it could really help with that point. And then you have SRA, you have full, you have full funnel tracking, which is another core thing that you need. And then the website, those are all like good activities to do. And then from there, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned podcast. I would consider turning back on some of the media at lower spends and then evaluating not only CPL, but also cost per qualified opportunity. And then eventually Mm -hmm. like projecting what would be the cost of acquisition. Um, and I would, uh, I would consider like a live event, like it, you could do the almost the exact same thing that we're doing. Maybe you're not the host, but somebody in your company has to be an expert on like, how do we use yeah. AI and go to market or sales? Like you have to have someone in your company. If you're in this space, you could have your customers join you and talk about how they've implemented it, but you got to figure out a way to have a like recurring event that centers around the, your like core business thesis, which is most likely like. AI for sales productivity or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've actually done this in previous roles at previous companies. I've created this exact thing mm-hmm. where we had a weekly um, event and it worked extremely well for us. So I'm, I'm trying to flip that on here. The difference is, is I'm not sure because AI is so popular right now, what's going to be providing value. And I think the only angle that I can really think of is with all this talk of chat GPT, no one really knows how to actually implement it and use it appropriately in business. And that's true. It's like uh, close to what our value prop is. But I'm, I think that's where I'm kind of getting mm-hmm. stuck here is like, what would be the right form of weekly content? Um, so are you are you prepared to activate the bottoms up motion or not? Not yet. And from a product so, standpoint. Yeah. I've planned this out for at least another three to six months. Cause I think that we have some work to do as far as like building the proper onboarding process. And it, just from like a PLG kind of mm-hmm. um, 
self-service motion. Mm -hmm. We're not there yet. Got it. Yeah. So if that is the case, then I think that you lean on proprietary insights, processes, things like that, that you've developed that people can implement on their own without your product. So mm. for, for example, like, um, we figure like use chat GPT in Google sheets to develop your top hundred account list in 10 minutes, right? Like you could feasibly do that list, all the account chat GPT list, all the accounts that fit here, list out the, you know, head of sales at this company. Like you could feasibly like put together some little things like that, that are like, Hey, this is a way for you to start using AI on your own for free inside of your company. I would try and center the initial events until you have a bot, a, a better bottoms up product motion around either that, which is going to be like more on the manager specialist, maybe director level audience. And then you have yeah. to have an executive level thing to support the top down motion. And I would get the insights on that about based on what you're hearing from sales and customer success or directly from customers. Well, do you feel like it's too early on to go into that bottom up approach? Cause I feel that sometimes when you're selling at an enterprise level, it's, if you split that funnel and you make two funnels, you're kind of putting yourself at risk. Mm, I don't really look at it as two funnels. I look at it as two content streams. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And it's like possible that the CMO sees my video about how to run a LinkedIn ad better and then forwards it to that person or that the director sees a better way to, you know, do attribution using the Salesforce app and the director sends it to the CMO. So you can, there's still cross pollination available. I just think about it as two different content streams, one okay. more executional oriented and one more business executive strategic oriented. Okay. Sounds like a exciting company to be a part of though. Congrats on the new role. Yeah. Thank you. It is. Uh, ironically, I think there's actually quite a bit of overlap between watchtower, um, and what it is that we're doing because we had a conversational level that I think you would actually be really interested in. Cool. Yeah. Loop me in next time you uh, chat with Sydney or the team. Great. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Thank good you. question. All right. Thanks for joining us live. We've got um, one more in the queue, Chris, if you want to take it, we might be able to end on. Time Let's do today. it. Yeah. We got a live one. Yeah. Cool. Austin's hey. back. Yeah. Back. No, uh, no event stuff. Um, this time that's not until the end of March. So I can give you an update on that later. Okay. Um, but what I am curious about being a individual sales rep, like what more can I do outside of like my one-to-one -one selling activities and do like a more one-to-many type approach? So what are you trying to accomplish? I mean, Ultimately, the end goal is to drive more business for the company um, and myself. And I guess one, a couple areas where I've kind of tried to experiment with are posting more on LinkedIn um, with insights around our kind of product and stuff like that. And then also doing like blog posts on industry relevant uh, sites as well. So just looking for more ideas on how to make myself more effective. 
the goal the goal drives everything for, and you mentioned two different goals they're actually competing goals is the primary okay. goal to drive more business for yourself or more business for the company i would have to say for the company then wow yeah wow i'm a, I'm a company guy uh, yeah i mean most in, most ic sales reps would say the goal is to drive more business for myself and i don't fault them for that and if i was in their shoes i would probably be doing the same thing so because when it's like drive more revenue for the company it's really a marketing role in a lot of yeah, ways no yeah that's true maybe like as i do more of these activities it's just inevitable that i end up transitioning um into a role like that but i really want to like make our brand known and publish like more mm -hmm. insights and just in like the most effective way possible yeah so i guess just to kind of come back on this like what can i do individually mm -hmm. to kind of help promote that and achieve that goal does your marketing team host a weekly event uh no we don't we have a like a 20 minute podcast um that we do with relevant people in the industry and like c-suite people cool so you at, you at least have a podcast it's just not broadcasted live to an audience yeah yeah exactly yeah we don't broadcast yeah. live um do you does your company in some way produce insights that get published on your website data proprietary research like hey we looked at all of our customers and found that the average customer's pipeline is going down by 17 percent with the macroeconomic conditions like anything like that like a data or insights play or no no see that's what we don't do and what i'm very fascinated in because we are a survey company so we're getting customer insights across millions of different surveys in over thousands of different restaurants as well mm -hmm. so uh oh yeah and i remember it's centered on like restaurants a lot like it could be mom and pop but it can also be big ones yeah i remember this so yeah. um I'm going to answer the question in the frame that I'm an individual contributor sales rep. And I know that your goal is to drive more reven revenue for the company, but I'm going to give you the advice that would be, um, you're going to drive more revenue for yourself and therefore the company, but it'll it puts yeah. you, you first. Um, so what I would do, do you have a territory? Like how are your accounts assigned? Yeah, we have a territory. So I'm responsible for all of Canada. Okay, perfect. Yep. I would somehow figure out a, whether it's through LinkedIn sales navigator or other means, I would get a list of all of the accounts that are in your territory that you're responsible for. I would then break down who are the like owners or decision makers inside of those things. I would create a workflow at the beginning. You do it manually at the end, you can figure out how to either automate it or have like uh, an admin level or, you know, uh, virtual assistant do it for like 10 bucks an hour to be connecting with those people with those types of people ever like 30 per day not some note that says hey you know good to connect with you you want to book a time to meet not that type of stuff just get the get the connection because when there's a connection there's an automatic bi-directional follow so when they connect with you they also follow you um, then I would be producing the stuff that you're doing on LinkedIn insights. Hey, we just work with this customer and this is what we learned. Hey, we ha had this podcast episode. Here's my take on it. Here's what I think restaurant owners need to be considering here. And I would, so it's like 
optimize your profile so people f- see you as a credible person in the restaurant industry. Get invite start start inviting people without any type of CTA, so they're in your content stream. Then and they're all inside of your target account list. And then okay. be consistently producing content um, about the restaurant industry with data and insights and things that are you know backed up and supported that would be valuable on LinkedIn, sharing a lot of the content that's already been being created in your company, but repackaging it as your own. Okay, that's super helpful. That was the one step I was missing is connecting with relevant people um, in the industry. And I should have put two and two together because I was listening to one of your older podcasts when you were first starting out. And I think you said you connected with like 100 people a day or a week or something, right? The maxes used to be different. So yeah, it was a hun- yeah. it was 100 a day. And then the limits changed and then if you do too many you start getting put in linkedin jail so um we stopped we stopped doing that now i'm at like twenty eight thousand connections so i don't really have that much they they cap it at thirty thousand, which i think is like a legacy stupid rule that they should reconsider and i think the connect the idea of connections overall should be rethought like i think maybe we should just move to a traditional like follow unfollow model um but no that makes sense and yeah Yes, yeah, super helpful. I mean, I'm already posting. I just thought it would travel more organically. And I noticed I was getting a lot of engagement at the start. I mean, for how many connections I have, but mm-hmm. it totally just dropped off after like a month and a half. Yeah. Say. Having a new stream of people that are actually like the target market for that information, I think is part of the equation for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Cool. Happy to help. Hopefully you close a couple more deals, make a couple more bucks, get the company done more, accomplish all your goals. We'll we'll see. I'll keep you posted. Awesome, man. Thanks for being here every week. Appreciate you being here. Thanks. All right, everyone. We're coming up on a close here. I got another meeting to get to, so we're going to end on time today. Great to have you all here. We did drop the the Watchtower Salesforce app, so if you all use Salesforce and are interested in that, feel free to check it out. I think Kaylee dropped a link, or you can reach out to Sydney Waterfall at my company and we can talk about it. Um, and other than that, look forward to continuing to doing, doing these, love the AMA, love you all being a part of it. So, uh, we actually, it's South by Southwest here in Austin, Texas this week. So Austin, Texas is like buzzing right now. There's like so many people, the weather is beautiful. People are out. There's so many fun things to do, having a lot of good meetings with, there's a lot of people in town, so it's been fun. So, um, hope you all have a great rest of your week as well. And we're having a fun time here in Austin. And oh, I'll be in San Francisco next week. So I'm not sure that we'll be doing the live. So stay tuned for, for more details there. If I can do it remote from San Francisco, I will. Otherwise, we'll uh, take a week off. So I'll let you know on that. All right, everyone. Hope you have a great week. See you later. <laughs>